We've gathered today, and as we've gathered today, we represent so many different countries, so many different cities and states. We represent a lot of stories. I asked Lynn before he came up to sing. I said, Lynn, how old were you when you gave your heart to the Lord? Nine years old. Nine years old, somewhere there in Tennessee, I'm sure. For him, it was a a day of just going to a camp meeting with his daddy. And the Holy Spirit just said, it's your time. What's your story today? Where were you? 
when you first realized God was reaching out to you? Was it a preacher preaching? A teacher teaching? Was it a song? Was it a time of anxiety for you? Was it a time of great failure in your life? When we come together at this time of the year, there's different names we use. Many say Happy Easter. Many of us have believers want to take it up a notch and say Happy Resurrection Day. For those of us that have appreciation for our Jewish roots, we remind ourselves of this Passover week, the Holy Week. And today represents first fruits. As we gather today, we do a lot of things. We remember, we honor, and we celebrate. Now, just to be real honest with you, how many of you were enjoying that screaming guitar a little while ago? And for those of us that have some age on us, we're like, man, I'm loving that. I don't know if I can. I looked at one particular lady, and man, she's just into it. I won't name any names. You see, we've all come here with our story. How many old rock and rollers are out there? Come on, just sit, look around. Most of you are bald-headed now, but you still rolls over. Yeah, yeah. And for the next few minutes, we we try to take all this and press it into remembering all that this time of the year represents. We remember that garden, that prayer meeting of great anguish, the surrendering of a will. We remember before that this Seder meal, this Last Supper as we call it. We remember the songs, the psalms they were singing as they crossed over the Kidron Valley, get to the Mount of Olives. We remember the betrayal. We remember the suffering the beating, the brutal flogging and beating. We remember the story of the Villa Dolorosa, the way traveling to a place to be crucified. We remember the cross, six hours, seven statements. All these things we've heard preached, taught, studied ourselves, read about us for ourselves and all these things come together, and, and then we remember the tomb. The tomb that held the body of our Lord for three days. But then there was that resurrection morning, and we celebrate that today. But you see, it has to make sure in our hearts that it's a living reality, not just a story. If you'll turn with me real quickly to First Peter Chapter 1. If you would stand with me, just going to read a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 1. Just picking up at verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through a fire, is tested by that fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You may be seated. Because what you got to remember as we read that passage is who wrote it. It was Peter. This is the guy that failed miserably. And yet he's writing to us now. This is the guy that had the opportunity to see Jesus make the blind see again, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He had spent three years with him. This is the guy who was given notice that he could fail and still failed. And now he's writing to us and telling us about everything that Jesus would go through and what he's offering us, but it comes down to that resurrection. He talks to us about being born again, being born spiritually. And again, I could just take hours at each segment of this, knowing that we, we come here, some of us are seasoned veterans of church, church and liturgy, and there's others that are just beginning And there's others that's searching for truth. Is Jesus really the truth? As he stated he was. Peter's writing to us and he says, but it's about being born again, born of spirit. The reason that we have to be born again is because we all have sinned. The best one of us have failed. We're born into this sinful world. It doesn't take long for this sinful nature to manifest. How many of you have precious little grandchildren? Don't you love those little sweeties? Have they ever been defiant to you? Doesn't take long to show up, does it? That old sinful nature. That sweet little child that you want to give an ice cream to. And they backmouth you, and you want to take that ice cream and cram it down their throat. <laughs> the reality speaks to us. Even though some of this is humorous and fun and we ebb and flow with it, we come back to this truth that we've all sinned. And sin separates us from this holy God. What's more incredible than all of the things that this week 
reminds us of. Again, everything we've just shared and so much more. What's more incredible than the plan that God had to redeem us? What's more important than Jesus fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, becoming the lamb slain before the foundation of the world? What's more important than all this is the love of God made it happen. That God loved us in spite of ourselves. That God loved us before anything lovable showed up in us. That God loved us so much that he gave us his only begotten son. It never gets tiresome to hear, does it? Because in that moment of quoting that particular passage, we're reminded Without salvation, I'm lost. Without salvation, there's no hope. Without salvation, biblically speaking, I'm damned to the fires of hell. This privilege of transformation. Let me give some encouragement to some of us that, like I have prayed, I meant, I meant what I prayed. I want Jesus to come in my life, but I have messed up along the way. I've got a quick temper. I got a foul mouth. I've, I just want to whip everybody I look at. I just get mad at people. I battle that. The word transformation reminds us of another word, and it's simply transition. That we're transitioning from an old life to a new life. I got good news for you. He won't give up on you. How many of you, raise of hands, have messed up this week? Yeah, come on. You know, I think being raised in church and, and, and some of the doctrines that we need to know and must know along the way, it's, it's, this, it's this one area right here we struggle with. I just don't feel like I'm ever good enough. I don't feel like I ever measure up enough. I, I, I didn't see it coming, but man, I cussed somebody this week. And I haven't cussed in a long time, and there it was. I'm like, where did that come from? Or I just became so petty over this. Somebody got a promotion, and I acted out ugly. Where did that come from? You see, that old nature keeps wanting to show up. There's many of us here today, maybe many streaming, that would say, man, you're talking to me now. Because I, I, I want to think that I can do better, but I've messed up. I'm a preacher's kid. I know better. I, I've been in Sunday school for years. I, I've sung specials at church. I've led somebody else to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then I've done this and I've done this. That's why we celebrate so heartily today because of this truth. Before we conclude, what we got to make sure is in a day where all the narratives are changing, things are being twisted, words that we once used no longer can be applied in a way that we grew up with them. You hear this today. The narratives tried to be changed in today's culture 
That Jesus was real, yes, but he didn't really resurrect from the dead. Liberal Christianity wants to say that it's enough just to be good and to make the world a better place. But you see, that's not an improved Christianity. That's a total different Christianity. In other words, it's not Christianity. Today, it comes down to a bottom line. He arose. He arose. He resurrected from the dead. This is why Peter, again, the guy that failed so miserably, comes back and says that we have a living hope. We have the privilege that when we do fall short, we can repent unto God and say, wash my sins from me again. Cleanse me and have a hope in the blood that he shed on that day that it cleanses my heart one more time. It refreshes my mind one more time and it gives me a hope that I can have eternal life with Jesus Christ. It comes down to this. The word hope means a profound certainty. We use the word hope for a lot of things. To the kids in school, I hope I pass this test. To somebody trying to get a date with somebody they've been trying to get a date with, they hope they can get that job done. We hope, we hope, we hope. But this living hope, Changes everything. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost and undone without God or his son, but now I am born again. I'm redeemed. I'm promised eternal life. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead. I'm paraphrasing. If Jesus Christ, if he didn't resurrect, our preaching has been in vain. If in this life only we have hope in Jesus, we are of all people to be pitied. It's about this resurrection. Let me conclude it this way. Jesus arose from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. The words of another writer simply put it this way, and many of you will recognize the words. Death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Can we have a shout in the house? This is where... I want to conclude today, preaching an Easter message, uh, Resurrection Sunday message. Oh my goodness, you realize all the things after all these many years that I've preached and felt led to preach. But today, 
something else spoke to me so very strongly. Reading through it again. And it says, the last enemy to be defeated is death. As I was reading that at my desk, oh, speak to me, Holy Spirit. What is it that I'm to communicate? The last enemy to be defeated is death. How many knows he defeated death? Which tells us that every other enemy that comes against us has already been defeated. Woo, come on, somebody. You see why it's so important to understand the resurrection from the clutches of hell. To understand, you got to know that Satan knew the word of God. He knew what it was at stake. He had done his strategies and all his plans and put his cohorts together and strategized to get the betrayal in place, to get the flogging, the beating, the stripes, all these things on that cross. Oh, yes, that cross. And to hear Jesus say those words, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. Satan is saying, I have done it. I have done it. I've got him because my greatest tool, death, has got him. Yes, he's been the one that's raised the dead before. Yes, he's the one that opened the blinded eye. Yes, he's the one that made the deaf to hear again. But none of that matters because that'll be forgotten as long as I hold him in the clutches of death. Day one, he's dead. He didn't come back. Day two, day three, oh, we remember. He said, tear down this temple in three days, I'll rebuild it. Put extra guards around that tomb. Oh, my. But it wasn't enough, was it? As the morning started and the day arose, that stone would roll away, and one more time, Jesus would be the conqueror over every enemy that had come against him, including this last enemy. And I'm sure as he came out of that borrowed tomb, he just looked death in the face and smiled and said, I have overcome the last enemy. Stand with me, will you?